Now, the young lawyer walked away from his encounter with Jesus that day, feeling like his question had sort of been answered, but also probably not really answered directly because that was kind of how Jesus did his work in the parables. It felt like half an answer, and at the same time, it felt like a challenge, like he was being accused of something. And he got more and more bothered as he walked along the road back to his home. It started as a little itch in the back of his brain, and a few miles on, closer to home, it had taken over into this full-sized burning in his skull. Something was not quite right he thought to himself, I think maybe I asked the wrong question. Maybe, maybe if I could go back and ask the right question, I can get a direct answer finally, or at least maybe he'll have some sort of parallel parable with another Samaritan and it can help me get to the answer that I'm really looking for and clear everything up. So he got home, and he scarfed down at dinner, and he got back out on the road, back to where Jesus and his disciples were camping out for the evening, and he found them sitting around the fire, trading stories about what had happened during the day. And Jesus saw the young lawyer as he approached again. Oh, hey, you're back. Yes, I am, Rabbi. I have a problem. See, I... Uh, I understand what you were trying to say in the story, to love the Samaritan as I love myself. You know, and I've known several Samaritans in my lifetime, and I'm going to be honest, I never really felt much love for them, what with all the uncleanliness and the outcastedness. So that feels a little weird to ask of me. And yet at the same time, you know, I have a lot of love in my life to give out. I love my family, and I take good care of them, and I provide for them. And I like my neighbors, well, most of them at least, and I try to do right by them whenever I can, or at least not get in their way with anything. But even with all of that, I don't think I'm feeling this, this love you were talking about in the parable I don't think I've ever really sensed it coming out of me before. And I start then, Rabbi, to, to wonder about myself. Is there something wrong with me? If I'm not loving my neighbors the way you're describing, am I loving myself at all? How, how, Rabbi, how do I love myself? Don't suppose you got a, another Samaritan story you can share with me that might help clear all this up. And Jesus sighed, shook his head, and said, listen, I don't do these things on the spot, kid. These are stories of deep complexity and meaning, and I spend a lot of time crafting them, and I can't just pull one out of a bag for you like that. So no, I, I don't have another Samaritan to offer you this evening. But let's see if we can figure out an answer to your question. A 
Now, I'm going to tattle on myself a little bit this morning and let you know that I am the lawyer in this particular sequel I am describing to you today. I am struggling frequently with that question of how do I love myself? It's, it's difficult, knowing what I know about myself, knowing about how my mind works, knowing about how I struggle internally. Loving my neighbor is easy. Loving myself can be a little hard sometimes. And so I wonder, as often as I go back to this parable, because it's number one in the top 10 hit parade for Jesus' stories, I wonder why there wasn't a complimentary parable to go along with it. Who is my neighbor, but who am I? Who is the me that I'm loving, and how exactly do I pull off that love? How do I love myself? First off, the love of self we're talking about today is not egotism at all, and it is not me as an island separated from the rest of the world. It's not you as an island separated from the rest of the world. Now, the love that Jesus is talking about in the parable of the Good Samaritan is that wide, all-encompassing agape love that the Greeks liked to tout and the world adopted at that time. This sense that there's a wholeness to the love we give, a fullness to it. And it's important to understand, too, that the concept of the self at the time that Jesus was speaking to his followers was very, very different from what we consider to be the self today. There was a sense of the individual at the time, but it wasn't the individual isolated from the world, independent. It was a vision of the individual as part of something larger, the individual in relationship with the community, in relationship with the family, the individual in relationship with the neighborhood, who is my neighbor. It was so tightly tied to the sense of community, that sense of self then, that when Jesus talks about loving your neighbor, what he's trying to get at with his audience at that time is a message of, hey, maybe we could be a little less parochial about everything, guys. Maybe we don't have to be so strict about that all-encompassing us that we're connected to. What he was trying to say that day is the love of self and the love of others were tied together and that we should want what is best for the neighborhood if we want what is good for ourselves. It's just a question of the size of the neighborhood. And then 2,000 years pass and modernity comes and all of a sudden we've got a very different sense of what the individual means and what the self means. We built a culture where the individual is rugged and pulls themselves up by their own bootstraps and does everything on their own rugged individualism, separated from everyone else, no less connected to the people around them, but certainly, surely, independent from anyone else, I am me, and I am me alone. And 
I think we can already see when we practice that sort of individualism, that I am me alone, I am an island. I refuse to see my connections even though they're there. We see the harm that does to the world around us because we don't see other people as people and we become selfish and we try to grab as much of the pie as we can for ourselves. Anybody else's feelings be damned. That's evident. But what we also start to do to ourselves in that isolated individualism is disconnect and start to do internal harm as well with self-individualism, with that strong, isolated sense of self. There comes self-doubt often and self-criticism. And if we're listening to that critic of the self inside enough, perhaps we start to descend into some self-loathing even. This is my struggle, and it's deeply tied to my own state of mental health and how I deal with it. But I do, I do have that sense of the diminishing self inside from time to time. The voice of my inner critic is a big jerk. And sometimes I give it a little too much attention. Sometimes I listen to it a little too closely. And then I start to, yeah, hate myself a little bit and everything that I do in the process. My imposter syndrome has its own case of imposter syndrome right now. It just spirals on down. And yet, I still love my neighbor in spite of all that turmoil in here. In fact, I feel so icky from time to time in here that I actually want more for others than I can manage to give to myself because I don't want anybody else to have to live like I'm living internally. But if I'm wanting more for others than I want for myself and I still can't manage to want to love myself enough, my question is the same as the lawyers. Am I doing something wrong? Am I falling down on the job somehow? Am I falling short in this equation of love for self and love for others? The lesson of Jesus' time in their sense of self then was that the love of self and the love of others was not some sort of if-then equation. If I love myself, then I can love others. If I can love others, then maybe I can love myself. No, they were deeply connected, deeply interrelated. It was a feedback loop of itself. If I'm loving my neighbor, if I'm being less parochial, I'm loving myself as a result of being part of the neighborhood. Today, the capacity to love yourself sparks the capacity to love others and vice versa. The question is what sparks that loving one way or another? What charges our capacity to love myself or others?
Jesus thought for a few minutes and then looked at the lawyer and said, sorry, yeah, I don't have that other Samaritan for you too, but I do have another story I can share with you. I had this friend a while back. He was another rabbi like me, and his name was Hillel, and he was a master of the Jewish law. He understood it inside and out. And one day, a couple of our Roman occupiers came to him and tried to catch him on the spot, and they said, the Jewish law is so complex and large. I wonder if you could stand on one foot and just summarize it for us. Yeah, said the lawyer, I know, I know. Everybody knows that story. Everybody gets it in the first year at school. So he stands on his one leg and he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and your neighbor as yourself. Right, said Jesus. I already told you that, said the lawyer. That was the beginning of my question earlier today. Why are you just parroting that back at me? I understand the lesson about loving my neighbor. It's the self I'm getting at. And Jesus said, hey, hey hang on, hang on. Put, put that question away for a little bit. What's the first part of the quote? What is the first great commandment in that equation? The lawyer thought and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. There you go, said Jesus. Now, we may struggle with the concept of God here. I don't know where you fall on the theological spectrum. But the answer really is in that first great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, or as Eugene Peterson, the late great Presbyterian biblical scholar said, with all your passion and all your prayer and all your muscle, poetry. So I'm going to ask us to turn on and boot up our UU translation algorithm here so we can start to get to the heart of that idea in a little more universal way. I've shared this particular conjugation before with people, but I'm going to share it again. Michael Lerner, another rabbi, more modern and closer to us, has posited that the word for God in the Hebrew scripture, that four-letter tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, yod heh vav heh is actually a very, very complex form of the verb to be. It is that which is becoming that which shall be. That is what I read in the declension or the conjugation of that verb, says Lerner. That which is becoming that which shall be. Or in other words, all that is. Everything. Or as we like to call it in our Unitarian Universalist circles, the interdependent web of all creation. or as I have come to mythologize it for all of you, the great heart at the center of all things. Love 
all that is with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Here's the great mystery of the self. Here I am, an individual, unique in my existence, here to do one show only. And yet at the same time, I am intimately, deeply connected to everything that has come before me. I am not here without it. And I'm intimately, deeply connected to everything here and now and everything that comes after me. How I live now will have a deep effect on the future. And I am called to love all that is, all of that, or what I'll call for the purposes of our sermon this morning, the neighborhood, capital V. I have received much from the web. I have much to gift to it now and in the future. I am both at once gifted and giving. I'm at once an individual and integral to the entirety of the web. I cannot separate those two things. And so those two great commandments are as interconnected and interrelated as we are. Love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. To do that is to love your neighbor as yourself, is to love the self in all that we are, in all of our joy and sorrow and good and not so good in all of the gifts we have received and in all of the gifts we have to give. And once we have wrapped our head around that, once we have come to accept that that's the progression. That is how we are tied in this great equation of these two great commandments. Once we've embraced it, the choice to love it honestly becomes no real choice at all. Either we're loving into that web we are inextricably a part of, or we are shutting ourselves off from it and just becoming a dead node in the matrix. Once we've come to accept that, that the choice to love is no choice at all, all that's really left for us to ask, and what the lawyer is really trying to get at with Jesus is this. To what degree do I love? Not just how do I love, but how intensely do I love? How expansively do I love? Well, we love with all our heart, says Hillel, says Jesus, says the author of the book of Deuteronomy, where that law is first written down. And in the Hebrew scriptures and in the language, that concept of heart is referring to the entirety of our inner self, not just the heart that loves, not just the thing that beats in our chest, but our whole interior being, the spirit of life that flows through us, 
the thing that is unique to us, but also shared with the neighborhood. All of our, all of our passions and all of our thoughts, all of our yearnings, all of our dreamings, all of our hopes, all of our fears is our inner self, is our heart. That's where it all begins. We love with all of that. And then we are to love with all our soul. And in the Greek of the Christian scriptures, that word that we translate as soul is psyche. But in the Greek concept, the psyche isn't just our mental status, the way that our mind works. It is our whole being, everything that makes us up, just, not just our interior life, but exterior as well. Our inner life, our body, how our body interacts with the world, how our body interacts with our neighbors, how our thoughts turn into actions, how we use our talents in the world. It's all the work of our hands and all the words from our mouth. It is everything that our inner self broadcasts out into the exterior. And then we come to might. I know, friends, this is a fun word to dig into. In U.S. Bibles, the word is often translated as strength, which is okay, but also inadequate to the meaning. It's easy to mistake that for just physical might and misinterpret that as, as, as using our physical strength in service of the God we are loving, of the neighborhood we are loving. But in the Greek of the New Testament, that word is translated as power. That's the word they use. Also, okay, yeah, that covers it. Power's got a little more of a dimension to it than just the, the, the physical strength we might be thinking of it. Power has a, a mental dimension to it, a social dimension to it, so maybe that's it, but still not quite enough. So we go back to the Hebrew in the book of Deuteronomy where these commandments first appear. And the word that they use, the verb that they use, is a rare one. In fact, it's used as a verb only twice through the whole Hebrew scriptures. The word is me'od. Most of the time, it's used as an adverb. And the adverb translates to very, to the high degree exceedingly, exceptionally, extremely, tremendously, we love. Very. So when we are commanded to love with all our might, what we're being told is to love with the very, veryness of our being, with a fullness, with a fullness that we probably didn't know we even had. Go the extra mile. If he asks for your shoes, give him your coat as well. Double down on that love. 
take it to ridiculous heights. So what the Deuteronomist is doing and what Matthew is repeating in the gospel is a progression of degree. Love God. Love all that is. Love with yourself. Love with your whole self. Love with the very bariness of your whole self. Am I making my point clear, says the gospel. Waving the flags to get your intention. Love all that is from everything that was, is within you from everything that is within you and everything that is in you that goes out into the world with your very veryness, exceptionally, extremely. How we are called to love is that broad, all-encompassing agape love. That's what they're trying to give us a sense of in those commandments, the wholeness of love that we contain within us. Be you to the fullest. Love with your capacity to love to the fullest. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your mind. In all of your ways of loving, in all of your ways of being, in the fullness of all that you feel, with every gift you have been given, and in every gift that you are. That love the self is definitely not an egotism. It is choosing to bless the world with all that you are to borrow the language of Rebecca Parker in our call to worship this morning. Choosing to bless the world. Because the neighborhood, the neighborhood, is not a static web at all. It is a matrix crackling with the energy of all we have to give and all others have to give in a constant, ever-growing act of creation, creative energy. The matrix requires us to give back some of what we have been given, to put our own creative, loving energy back into it. Because if we can't do that, if we're going to close ourselves off, if enough of us do that, the web just becomes a cobweb. Sitting on its own up in a corner, gathering dust. We love ourselves back into that web with everything we have so that that matrix is crackling with all of our creative energy, full of the spirit of life, beating like a great heart at the center of everything. The lawyer walked home again that evening once again a little disappointed in the exchange because once again he didn't really get a whole answer to his question and I didn't either. 
I didn't get what I was looking for in there. Now, instead, once again, the lawyer felt challenged. And that challenge is offered to us as well. Maybe we didn't get the parable of the second Samaritan. But perhaps, perhaps the lawyer that day got something better. And maybe we do too in the process. Love all that is from within, from without, to the very, veryness of our being. May it be so.